Well, I'm going to move this forward slightly. Hey, this is a really impressive stand, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for saying that, Joel. That was a gentle hint. Joel was saying there, we are not the same height, are we? It was very gently said. You can take it down. You can drop it down a bit. But it's very impressive. Do you know what? One of the things we discovered last year, which I had never realised before, but we had so many of them last year, we discovered it, which is that every lectern changes with every prime minister. Never knew that. Till suddenly it was a weekly occurrence, we had a new Prime Minister, the lectern changed. And unfortunately, the most impressive of all the lecterns was the sort of Jenga-type one, which Liz Truss had. It was beautiful. Little do we know it's a prophetic statement. And the whole thing came tumbling down. But yeah, it was only there for a few days, but there you go. It was great. Well, it is a real joy to be with you. And um, in the week, Joel rang and said, uh, what, are you, what do you think you're preaching on? And I said, well, what have you been preaching on? And he said, well, I... I preached last week, just a reminder for you all. He preached last week on the presence of God. He's going to talk then on the provision and then on the power. Thanks for your reminder. I did know where I was going. Interestingly, he said, what are you thinking of preaching on? So I said, well, it's kind of interesting. I was going to speak basically on this. And I talked about it. And he said, so basically, sort of all I'm preaching on. And I said, yes. And then I felt God say, but I don't want you to preach that, Andrew. I want you to say that to Joel to encourage him that he is preaching the right thing at the right moment in time. Which is great. But then I had to kind of seek God and say, well, what do you want me to preach then? And then I felt God say, I want you to lift people's heads today. And to lift heads to dream of something greater. And I want to talk on eternity. It's funny, isn't it? The news at the moment is not the best. You know, we've gone through an interesting season, um, through COVID, through financial crises, through war in Ukraine, one thing after another, after another, after another. And apparently tomorrow is known as Blue Monday, not the New Order version, which would have been really nice if it was. But no, it is because it is seen as one of the most depressing days of the year. So what better for the people of God to be reminded that we've got nothing to fear. We've got something so exciting that we're going to look at eternity today and the hope of eternity that's in our heart. Let me read this newspaper cutting to you. This, me and my brothers, my sister found this when we were clearing up my parents' house after they'd gone to glory. We were clearing up the house and we found this newspaper cutting about my grandfather. And it says this, Flangaina, Mr. Thomas G. Davis of Four Green Meadow Terrace, Flangaina, who has died aged 87, was one of the Garu Valley's outstanding and best-known Christian personalities. He wouldn't have said that himself. He was far too humble and self-effacing. He preferred talking about his faith rather than himself. But others have been saying it in the chapels, but not only in the chapels of the valley, but also in the clubs and the pubs. Many Garu Valley miners have been recalling with tremendous respect and admiration they had for him when he worked amongst them. Mr. Davis was converted as a result of a revival campaign in the Garu Valley and the fire of enthusiasm never burnt out of him. 
In the 1930s, when Mr. Davis worked underground at the Ocean Colliery, Blind Garrow, he was involved in the stay-in strike. He helped to organise and lead memorable and moving pit-bottom services, which inspired and encouraged his fellow strikers, and many became believers. And it's just right at the end, it says this. Of Mr. Tom Davis, it can be truly said, he lived his faith in such a way, he made it, he said this, other men found it easier to believe in God. What more could any man ask? Read that again. Of Mr. Tom Davis, it could be truly said, he lived his faith in such a way that other men found it easier to believe in God. What more could any man ask? Me and my brother read that, and we kind of looked at each other with that sense of, oh, (laughs) that's our heritage. And then we thought, well, that's true of dad as well. That's true of mum. And we looked at each other and said, oh, I hope it's true of us. And we started talking, saying, well, what was it about grandpa that he carried that made him so in love with God but made the way he lived inspire others to find more about God. And we both came to the same conclusion. He had eternity in his heart. He always talked of eternity. He always talked of, oh, I've got such a hope, Andrew. I've got such a hope of what I'm going to see. I can live now because I know what I'm going to see. And he lived with this excitement and joy in his life in everything that he did. And I kind of, we both sat there, me and my brother, and said, oh, God, do that in us as well. And so today, I want to take a bit of time and lift our heads and talk and say, what is the hope that God has put in us? I'm going to read from 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18. And this is from the ESV, and it says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that those who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So today I want to encourage you with these words. And and this is to a church in Thessalonica that Paul, and we can see the story of it is in Acts 17 verses 1 to 10, this church was planted by Paul and his team. Now I find this really challenging, right? I'm a church planter. Paul had only been in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. Right? So at the very maximum, he's been there just about nearly four weeks. He's gone in with his team. They've, they've gone to the synagogue. They've led people to Jesus. They've started upon this church. And, and great things are happening. In fact, great popularity is coming up. And suddenly people are saying, hey, we don't like this popularity. So persecution comes against the church. And people are arrested. 
And at that point, it said, do you know what, Paul? I think it's very best you leave. And so Paul and his team leave. And you kind of think, cool, could you imagine that? You know, imagine there's no church in Aberystwyth, and suddenly you come and you plant this church around, great things are happening, and then suddenly... Joel and Louise are told, it's great now, could you go? <laughs> you know, we think you're in danger, could you go now? And you kind of, his team leave and they're thinking, I wonder what that church is like now. I wonder what's happening, wonder, wonder what's going on back there. And so they send Timothy. I always feel a bit sorry for Timothy because elsewhere in scripture we see that Timothy was a bit of a timid man. You know, it says, it, Paul says to him to encourage you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God you've received from the laying on of my hands. For you have not received a spirit of timidity, but a power, love, and self-discipline. And so for Timothy, we realize actually he's quite a timid guy. In fact, when he's going to Corinth, Paul writes and says, I'm sending Timothy to you. Please make sure he's got nothing to fear. Could you imagine if last week Joel had said, look, we've got Zach's dad coming next week, Andrew. Please make sure he's got nothing to fear. You'd be thinking, what sort of character is turning up? You know, he's going, and they send Timothy and say, Timothy, you know that place where all that persecution happened and all that trouble we got into? Could you go back and check on what the church is like? <laughs> so Timothy goes back. And what he finds is remarkable. This church had only had Paul's ministry for at the maximum just up to four weeks was thriving. In fact, it wasn't just thriving, it was full of faith and was blessing and influencing all the other churches around. In fact, it looks like they were planting churches everywhere. This was an amazing work of God. But there was one thing. One thing that Paul heard that really grieved him. Now clearly, when Paul was with them, he talked a lot about the coming of Jesus. He talked about, he's going to return, he's coming back, he's coming back. And they got excited. Oh, Jesus is going to come back, he's going to come back. And now members of the church were dying. Whether through persecution or old age or illness, we don't know. But they were dying. And they were grieving like those who have no hope. They were standing there saying, oh no, they're not going to see the return of Jesus. They're missing out. And when Paul hears this, he says, this cannot stand. I can't leave this. I've got to, I've got to change this. I've got to change the mindset. I've got to teach them that there is no loss. There is no loss. I've got to teach them there is hope, not loss. It's interesting, isn't it? Just say, we don't talk enough about the coming back of Jesus. We very rarely talk that Jesus is coming back to his bride. You know, I, I'm a simple man in many ways. Zach will confirm that. But I, my, my end time theology in some ways is based on my wedding day. You know, when I was standing there waiting for my wonderful wife to come down the aisle and she started coming, I didn't look at her and think... Poor thing, someone had to marry her. <laughs> I looked at her and said, you're stunning. Get down here now. This wedding needs to take place. There's a point where you think, yes. And my picture is of Jesus looking at his bride. There will be a point where he looks at his glorious bride and says, she's ready. It's time for the wedding to take place. 
But we see here, for this, for Paul, he couldn't cope with the thought of Christians grieving with the same hopelessness that unbelievers. And so he had to teach them. He had to set the record straight. A few months ago, I found an old sermon of my dad preaching at a church I used to lead in Cardiff. And uh, he's preaching away. And as his wand, he would suddenly burst into song. And you'll be glad to know I'm not going to do that. But in the middle of it, he suddenly goes, I'm going to see Jesus. Are you? I know I am. And everything in me suddenly said, actually, Dad, you're seeing him right now. You're seeing him right now. Because the truth is, as believers, we can know what is coming. We can know what is ahead. So the first thing is this. Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. This little boy once wrote a letter to God. He said this. Dear God, what is it like after a person dies? Nobody will tell me. I just want to know. I don't want to do it. Your friend Mike. And the truth is, today, we can know what is the other side. You know, it used to be death was the elephant in the room. No one would talk about death. It used to be said, you know, in Victorian times, everyone would talk about death, but no one would talk about sex. And then in our times, everyone would talk about sex, but no one would talk about death. And then COVID came along. And then every single night, people were looking at figures of those who had died. And then we had the queen die. And suddenly, death has suddenly come into the conversation. And I, I've even had a conversation with my next-door neighbor recently. Um, what was her name? Dame did the Big C podcast. So she died of cancer. And uh, I was outside putting the bins out. And he suddenly says, he, he works on the ambulances. And he suddenly put the stuff. And he says, oh, you know that, that lady died recently? I said, yeah, yeah. He says, do you know what? He says, the trouble at the moment is we're trying to make death sound glamorous, and it's not, it stinks. And I said, it's not glamorous, but for me, there's hope. And I ended up having this great conversation with him about what it was I believed, because it's hope. We can know. We know. So let me use this lace. I'm going to try and explain something to you right now, Okay. An orange lace. Stole it off you, Liz. So an orange lace. Just imagine, right? I'm going to try and do this now. At the beginning, God created time. There's time. The start and the end of time. Got nice plastic bits at the end and the start. But there it is. Time. Created by God. When Jesus spoke the world into being, time was created and came into being. And God looks at time from eternity. So there is time, and all through time... Liz, do you want to come and stand here? (laughs) Otherwise, time looks really pathetic, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. 
Here's time. Right through. But all around it is God in eternity. Which means that God can see time at any point. God can break into time at any point. Because God is in eternity. And when it was first created, when it was all created, we see that beautiful picture of Eden, of Adam and Eve walking with God. In other words, time and eternity sat together. God was from eternity connecting with Adam and Eve in, a t- in time, and they walked together. And in that place, God gave Adam and Eve authority. Authority to the whole of creation. And said, oh, I give you this. Humanity, this is what I give you. Then we know the story, of course, in Eden, how Adam and Eve suddenly take the authority that God had given them and handed it to Satan. God never gave authority to Satan. Humanity did. And at that point, separation came. At that point, separation of God and eternity leaves. And humanity has no longer got that relationship. But the promise, all the way through... You're going to have to come a bit closer because my mic's not going to let me get there. promise, all the way through is that God is going to do something about this. God's going to do something about this. And then suddenly, we see the amazing moment. Thank you, glamorous assistant. We see the amazing moment that God himself becomes part of time. That incredible moment. That what a saviour. Have you ever thought about this? When Jesus spoke the world into being, he knew himself he would come and be restricted by time. That he himself would come and be fully human. Fully God, but fully human to live amongst us. And so, you know, there's, um, we just had Christmas and there's that song that sometimes you hear people say, you know, that it's quite an emotional song. You know, Mary, did you know? You know, Mary, did you know? Sorry, I promised you I was going to sing, and that's it. Mary, did you know? You know, oh. And the trouble is, she did. <laughs> Do you know how? She had a great big angel turn up and say, Do you know what? <laughs> You're going to give birth to the Son of God. Am I? Yes. Oh, I'm pregnant and I'm a virgin. She kind of had hints, you know. And so actually, it's a lovely song. We all think, oh, it's lovely, lovely. But she did. She held that baby and looked upon it and knew this is God. This is God. And I know it because everyone's been telling me. Despite what an American says, everyone else knows. (laughs) She held him. The God of eternity had entered time. And then we see this incredible thing that he lives, breathes, learns. And then when he gets baptized, we see this amazing moment where the Spirit of God descends upon him and he is given authority, the authority that was given to humanity back in Eden. And have you ever noticed as soon after his baptism, it's no surprise that Satan turns up again. Looks at him and says, I want that authority. And actually what you see in the wilderness is a replay of what happens in in the Garden of Eden. Again, Satan coming saying, give me your authority. Give me your authority. This time, no. 
it is written. No. And Satan left knowing he could not get that authority. And so he had to destroy him. Little knowing that the destruction of Jesus on Calvary was eternity kissing time. That sacrifice of our wonderful Savior and his resurrection was the moment that time had a door opened up again to eternity. And that is the key moment of time because what happened there impacts the whole of time. No one gets to eternity from Noah, from Adam, from Abraham, any other way than through the cross and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the central theme of the whole of time. That moment was eternity kissing time. And that doorway reopened. And Jesus, when he says, all authority is mine, he meant all authority. In other words, that which was lost to Eden, I've regained. <laughs> it's back. And now, those of us full of hope carry that authority with us wherever we go. It's a good picture. So we can know. Because of this, when we leave time, we enter eternity. When we leave time, we enter eternity. Another truth is this. Paul talks about it as falling asleep. I love that phrase, falling asleep. For the Greeks and the Romans, graveyards were the scary place. It was full Halloween. It was full, and scary and spirits wandering and no one would go to the graveyard. The Christians were the first to call it a cemetery. And cemetery in Greek is the same word as barracks. And what do you do in a barracks? You sleep. And you're woken by the sound of a... Probably better than that. So uh, the sound of a trumpet. You'd wake. That's what happens in the barracks. And for Christians, death is falling asleep and will be woken by the sound of the trumpet. Now, I remember as a kid, when we would go somewhere... If we were traveling, let's say we'd travel to see my grandparents in Llangaina, and there'd be that day, we'd have a great day, we'd always have a fish and chip supper, and then, and then it would be, right, get in your pajamas, Andrew, get in the car, we're going home. And I always just think, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this trip, I'm going to see the bridge, I'm going to see the tunnel, I'm, oh, it's going to be good. The next thing I'd always know is being woken up the next morning in my bed. That is what death is like for us. Now, there are other things we know, which is Jesus on the cross turns to the thief alongside him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I think, and it is a total mystery, there'll be lots of different theological views and things at this point, but all I would say is this. The moment you fall asleep, you leave time and enter eternity. You leave. And we, in our thinking, are restricted by time. 
But God isn't in time. He's in eternity. And the moment you fall asleep, because of that doorway opened, you leave time. And you're with him in eternity. In fact, this passage would imply you wake up at the return of Jesus. <laughs> you're there. No one misses out on the return of Jesus. We're there. We see him. We enjoy him. The third thing we can know is this. Death is safe now. And how can we know that? Now, I love, there's a TV program, right, which now is quite old, but it was The West Wing. And anyone else ever watched The West Wing on, on yeah, I know, there's a look there many times. Do you know what? It's a brilliant program. It's, it's, look, it's looking at, uh, at uh, the presidency in, in America. And it's just brilliant. It was the first kind of TV, big budget TV series. And the thing I like watching it is if I'm ever stressed, I watch The West Wing because suddenly everything is okay. And suddenly there's a president who I really like and everything is good and, and there's problems that aren't real problems. And it's sheer escapism, but I really enjoy it. But the thing that always hits me is, of course, whenever the president is going anywhere, what happens? The Secret Service go first. The Secret Service go in, they check everything is safe, they then come out and say, you can go in. And there's a one very funny scene where he's going to go and see his friend, and he's standing outside the, the room, and the Secret Service has gone in, and he's kind of looking at his friend, his friend's looking at him, they're both looking at each other, but he can't cross that threshold until the secret service come out and say it's okay it's safe to go imagine prince uh, king king charles oh imagine king charles was visiting next week do you know what would happen in abba the secret service would come and check 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 and when they're convinced it's safe they'd say you can come now do you know what, that's what jesus has done for us jesus went through death and the remarkable thing is this. He came back and said, it's okay now. It's safe. I've been through, taken its sting, got rid of it. Come back. Nothing to fear anymore. It's dealt with. You can go right through. The fourth truth is it is infused with hope. We had um, some neighbours next door when we were in Cardiff, and they had a horrendous night one night. They'd had a blazing row. She'd driven off and was involved in a car crash and lost her life. And they weren't Christians. They had no faith at all. And her funeral was hopeless, literally hopeless. It was horrible. It was like burying a dog. Thanks for the memories. There was nothing of hope. And as we walked out, our other neighbours grabbed us and said, I don't want a funeral like that. Could you please talk us through how you would do a funeral? <laughs> and so that night, we went up to the pub in our community, and we had a number of the neighbours come and sit with us and quiz us. How come you do a funeral differently? And of course... Because full of hope. Because the difference between someone who there's no hope and then when you've got someone who knows Jesus is radically, radically 
different. Because we know they have been resurrected with Christ. So, for all of us today, there are two possible things for our future if you know Jesus Christ. One is, you're going to fall asleep and wake up and see the return of Jesus. That's going to be one option. Another option is we are going to suddenly hear the trumpet, look up and see him returning and we meet him. (laughs) One way or another, we meet Jesus. It's exciting. It's ridiculous. So we know we're either going to be resurrected or we're going to be taken up. And we've got this strange language of the clouds. It's amazing. So often when God comes down, it talks about the cloud. So we don't quite know what that looks like. You know, Hollywood will have a go. We don't totally know. But I tell you what, it'll be better than anyone else could have imagined. The other thing about it is there's reunion. We will be reunited with those who have gone before us. We'll be reunited. I once had someone say, when we get to heaven, we won't recognize anyone. And people live with that. We won't recognize anyone. Rubbish. Do you know how we know that's rubbish? The transfiguration of Jesus. If you want a picture of the grace of God, here it is. Moses. He makes one cry in his life, show me your glory, Lord. And then because he hits a rock, he's not allowed to enter in life the promised land. He can't set a foot in that promised land. But there, standing next to Jesus, in the promised land, next to the Messiah, is Moses. From eternity, he enters the promised land. And not only does he enter the promised land, he enters and stands next to the Messiah. The other person who asked God, show me your glory, was Elijah. And who's standing the other side? Elijah. And I always got this impression as they enter back into eternity. Imagine the father saying, is that enough of my glory? (laughs) You've seen it now. But do you know what is really key about that? Peter isn't standing there saying, wow, look at Jesus. Something big's happening there. But who are those two asexual beings standing either side of him? (laughs) He's not doing that, is he? He's not there looking and going, well, there's Jesus, but whoa, who's that and who's that? They, they, they look odd. He looks and says, there's Moses, there's Elijah. Now, we don't know how he knew they were there, but we do know this, he recognized them. So we know there's reunion. In fact, if you really wanted to blow your brains, you could actually go down the route of saying, for those who are already gone, they're already with us. Because they've left time and gone into eternity and they may well be that those who go before us, there is no grieving or loss because they're already with us. But for us, there is loss. It is painful when people die. And just even hearing in your notices, many of you are living even now with loss. And though we are full of hope, we also can feel the pain. And we need time to grieve. Because actually, for us, there is loss. 
For them there isn't, but for us there is. And we have to process that. And then lastly, we see Paul says this, and you will be with the Lord forever. In other words, there's a lasting relationship that will never end. We're with him in eternity. Now, sometimes we don't talk enough about heaven and eternity because because it's so outside of our mindset. And dare I say, I've known some moments where someone has said something about eternity and it's made me not want to be there. I remember one time as a church in Putney, me and Liz, we just got married. We were helping lead and we had this old Baptist church building and it had like three generations of pigeons living up in the in the attic and every now and then during worship a feather would fall and let's just say this there was nothing spiritual about this feather as it descended down into the place where we were worshiping because it was often followed by a maggot that would also then drop down and there was this one January probably this time of year where the heating had gone as well and we're all there very cold it was a time of the shine Jesus shine songs and the, the worship leader is playing it for the 54th time and we're all standing there freezing cold just wanting a cup coffee and go home and suddenly they go just think guys we've got eternity to do this no I don't want to do this for eternity and sometimes we have this impression of like this really oh we're just stuck in this worship song the whole time exactly and it's like this whole no 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 it's terrifying and so but the thought is this that's not what eternity is Around the throne room, they cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because the revelation is constant of the holiness of God. Why do we need eternity with God? Because it's going to take us eternity to understand the grace of God. It's going to take us eternity to understand the joy of God. It's going to take us eternity to, to get all the revelation that comes from him. And for us to rule with him as we were called to do. We live with great hope. I never forget the story of how my grandpa went to glory. I was 16 years old. I remember my mum and dad shooting off to Flangina, and he'd been taken into a hospital, and he was in a coma. While in the coma, an ex-miner from another ward heard Tom Davis was there and ran by the side of his bed, took my grandpa's hand, put it on his head, and said, Tom, you always told me about Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior right now. The guy went away. My parents were like. <laughs> and then my grandpa opened his eyes, looked at my mum and said, Oh, June, I can see Jesus. And he's wonderful. And he went. Now, not everyone goes like that. My mum and dad, who, you know, my mum had Alzheimer's and it was the long goodbye and it was the, sort of the farewell, the farewell. And, but the last thing I ever did with her was break bread with her. And she could hardly talk anymore. But the only thing we ever heard her say at that point was as we just put a bit of wine on her lips, she said, Jesus. We have a hope of eternity in us. And today I want to encourage you. How do you live a life that makes it easier for others to believe in God? Live with the hope of eternity. How do we ensure black, blue Mondays don't totally affect us as well? 
we live with the hope of eternity. So today, let's live with that hope. If you're able to stand, let's just stand together now. Is everyone's eyes shut, just shut? If you're here today and you haven't got that hope of eternity, you don't know Jesus Christ, can I encourage you? If actually, if you're here and you say, actually, I, I want to know Jesus, just, just lift your hand now. As you say, actually, I, do want, I, want, I want to have that hope. I want to have that sense. Or if you've got questions, the Alpha Course is the most wonderful place to go to find out truth about that. But if all of you here, if, if any of you are still live with the fear of death, just lift your hands now. Just feel God just wants to free some of you from that. And alongside that, I feel there's some who, you've got family members who have gone away from God and, and you're, you're kind of living with, yeah, I'm excited by the hope of eternity, but I don't want them not to be there. And I just feel God wants to come and minister to you right now and just say, I'm God. You don't need to fear. I'm God. And my grace may abound more than you could ever anticipate. Holy Spirit, just come now. Fill us with hope, encouragement and strength for the days ahead. In your awesome name. Amen.